0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the A-Line Podcast. Today I chat to Cameron Mason, who's not only an absolute hitter on the cross-country mountain bike, but also races cyclocross, gravel and road too. He does all of this at a high level, racing World Cups in the various disciplines, and has won some too. Cameron is also a very talented man, but he's got a YouTube channel where he documents all of his racing from around the world, so be sure to check that out. We have a great chat about the highs and lows of his career so far, as well as some top tips for any aspiring racers out there. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, Cameron. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm
1: good, thank you. Yeah, no thanks for having me on your uh, on your A-line podcast.
0: No worries. No thanks for t- finding the time to come on. Really appreciate it because you're you're a busy man. Um, how's your week going?
1: Uh, not so busy at the moment. Just at home training. Um, yeah, I'm in a kind of. More of a quiet period, which is what I need at the moment, just to reset and uh, get ready for a busy, a busy summer. Hopefully,
0: definitely. Well, we'll get stuck into that a bit. But do you want to like um, introduce who you are for the listeners and what you do while you're here?
1: Yeah, I'm Karen Mason, a mountain bike racer, saddle racer, and gravel racer, and road racer sometimes for Trinity Racing. Um, so yeah, multi-discipline bike racer from Lanlithgow near Edinburgh in Scotland.
0: Fantastic. Well, before we get stuck in, we'll, we'll do the virtual coffee order because sadly I couldn't make the drive up to Scotland for the interview. So, yeah, we're out on a ride. It can be, it can vary depending on what sort of ride. So maybe we've just smashed some efforts we're chilling, or we're getting geared up, sugared up, ready to go. Like, what, what's your coffee shop order? Um,
1: probably a can of juice, so uh, like a can of Iron Brew, and yep. phew, it depends where we are. I'm, I'm more of a petrol station uh, kind of stock person. Um yeah, I'm not tempted by all these fancy hipster coffee shops. I just need <laughs> pure utility, which is sugar and carbs. So yeah, uh yeah, kind of kind of coke or kind of iron brew and uh a Snickers and then I'll be good to go for another couple of hours. So
0: that's good for me. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Love iron brew, it's amazing. <laughs> not that nice. one yeah either, even though we've had a few Scottish people on.
1: Yeah, but they uh it gets less and less sugar every year, which is a shame because of this sugar tax. So uh, you need to find the like iron brew original which has the full sugar because yeah as a cyclist you need all you can get really
0: definitely i mean a bit of a side note but i used to work for someone who's scottish and his mum was told fizzy drinks are bad for your kids so she used to uh, add sugar to the iron brew to take the fizz out of it because it gets rid of the bubbles and just stir it up so she'd like added this was back in like the 80s as well yeah that's amazing
1: that's proper delusion there i don't know what she was thinking but yeah fair enough
0: good if you're riding a lot though (laughs) yeah exactly awesome right so we've got our um, virtual um coffee sorted and the dogs go mental which is which is brilliant Postman must be nearby or something um uh, but yeah so rewinding things back to the start how did bikes come about and things
1: um so i was actually chatting to isla about it on my recovery ride today and that um in a couple of weeks i'm racing down in Margham and that is apparently the first british cross race i british mountain bike race i ever went to but i didn't race it i, I must have been seven or eight years old and we were we were passing by Morgan Park just on the way to our family holiday because it was my cousin who was actually racing at the time he's seven eight years older than me um so yeah that's kind of how I got into bike racing was actually my cousin used to do mountain bike racing nationally um and we went to Drumland rig one year and we brought our bikes me and my brother and we did the little under eights and under tens race and that got me into into the racing and then I started doing more of the kind of Scottish level races Um, and then I joined my local cycling club which was West Lothian Clarion, Uh, did kind of training with them every Saturday and learned more about skills and riding with mates, all of that and then just from there any more cycling I could do I would do it. So whether that was crit racing or or saddle cross racing or track um, that was just my thing when I was was little and when I was growing up and naturally just got a little bit more serious every year but it. only when you take a step back you realize how serious it's become but it doesn't feel like that really uh day to day so that's kind of where i'm at
0: yeah there's there's definitely an apparent love for bikes is was there also like a success went with that or do you just love being on two wheels
1: yeah i obviously was like really competitive like i was really good as an under 12 because i had really good skills and i really enjoyed it and yeah, I, I was better at going downhill than everyone. But then when we went into kind of yeah, older under twelves or into the U fourteen and U sixteen, I just got left behind physically. Um, so if it was about the winning I probably would have stopped at that point, um, because I didn't I was just wasn't very good. I was, you know, struggling to get around uh, national races and all of that. But I obviously liked it enough that I kept going at it and I enjoyed the social side of it and the and they're just riding for fun every week. And then when I did catch up to my peers in in kind of junior, um, all of the things I'd learned while not winning actually then helped me, um, helped me when I when I was in junior.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a it's an interesting time across most sports, like the teenage years, isn't it? Because it's yeah. almost a, a race of who can grow the fastest. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and and in a good way as well. Like if if you do develop earlier and quicker. Then you get opportunities opened up to you earlier, and then you can maybe start to use them. So it's it is an advantage sometimes to to develop earlier. You you can maybe go to a major championship when you're a junior, and you can start getting on that um, kind of level of development. Like all of my peers are ahead of me in terms of those opportunities because they're already getting them as a junior. Um, I didn't start to get that until I was into U twenty three. So that's one thing. But then it's also a it's um, yeah, it's, it could also be a bad thing because you, you reach a high level very quickly without maybe as much kind of pacing to get you there. So there's a lot to be said for yeah, taking kind of slow, steady steps to a, to a place like that instead of just big physical jumps. Um, but once you are at that top level and everyone's physically developed and everyone's got that experience, then... It is pretty pure you know it doesn't really matter how you got there it's like what you're going to then do with it while
0: you are while you are at that high level yeah definitely it's, it's um it's very competitive and close the margins are quite small aren't they so
1: yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah no it's it's yeah every, everyone is doing the same general things like everyone is eating well everyone's sleeping well everyone's training well and the differences are really made kind of in the smaller things um you know the the attention to detail, the bike setup, the, the race calendar, the planning, all those things there, that's kind of where the difference is made at, at that level.
0: Definitely. Yeah. It's even looking at say bikes that people like most of the listeners, that would be a big thing for them, but yep. most bikes, obviously they have different geometries and stuff, but there's not much between them. It's the rider that makes the difference. No, the the day. no, no it's,
1: it's, it's how you've set that bike up, you know, like how it's, how you're, how you're used to it as well. But no, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who the, what bike the winner was on it's that that bike suits them and they've made it their own. Um, so yeah, all the top riders do have pretty good attention to detail and they, they do have a really good understanding of how their bikes work. I think in mountain bike in, in road, you can be a bit more of a passenger. I think in, you know, you can be pretty casual about how well you know your, your bike. Whereas in mountain bike, you have to have a pretty good relationship with your machine because you know the difference between a well-set-up mountain bike and a badly set-up mountain bike is its confidence, its safety, its speed, all those things. So um, it helps to really, really have a good understanding of your bike.
0: Definitely. And um, I guess looking at your story then, when did things start to get... You said you were competitive, it started to get serious. You know, like, oh, we're actually going to give this a bit of a nudge because committing to a full cyclocross season is a big thing if you're buying free bikes and things like that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so... Through junior and when I was kind of finishing school, um, I had started to like from a salt point of view, like that had really leveled up and I was starting to kind of push it into the top tens abroad and things like that. And that was quite a clear thing. I think obviously leaving school and then not doing university and not doing college that at the time didn't feel like much to me because it's like, of course, I'm not going to do that because what I want to do is ride a bike. But looking back like that, that is quite a clear thing, you know, like when you leave school, the next thing you do is pretty clear indication of where you want to be so for me that was just riding my bike full time um but yeah it was it was lots of small steps you know lots of small little wins um like in when I was a junior I kind of stepped back a little bit from the Scottish cycling mountain bike program because I did want to focus more on the saddle cross um and by doing that that got me a ride on trinity racing um because I was focused more on the saddle cross so I was a lot more valuable to a team like that so that got me on there and then the opportunities that they gave me in mountain bike as well last year was was really big so it's kind of yeah all quite natural steps but um they were conscious at the time as well
0: yeah it's interesting what you say about um stepping away from college university that not choosing that route but then also how you've gone down the trinity route rather than say um like isla who you mentioned earlier she's um Went on short racing for a while, didn't she? Then she's gone to the bigger factory teams. Is, yep. it, is it like, um, I don't know, is it something in the water around you guys that makes you like want to do carve your own way and then bloom, as it were? Um,
1: yeah, I think most mountain bikers, you do have to be quite, you know, free thinking. Uh, there's not a real clear performance pathway in mountain bike. Um, maybe the most traditional way in the UK is, is through British cycling. Um, But that's becoming less and less important or valuable just as the world of cycling changes. And whereas in road, especially, like there's a pretty clear, you know, development team onto World Tour, that type of thing. Whereas if you were to say factory team, okay, that might look like World Tour level, but it actually means loads of different things. You know, a factory team just has to is just a team that's main sponsor is a bike brand and that bike brand could be specialized but that bike brand could also be some random you know manufacturer no one's ever heard of so there's no like UCI real level like there's lots of UCI accredited teams but so yeah the the like the pathways, yeah not so kind of driven in so for me I just I was going about it in the way to make sure that yeah I was the happiest I could be but then there was also a performance side of it as well like you want to be in an environment that is as high performance as you can. Um, But then a team is only as good as how happy you are at it, obviously. So you could have the most high performance team in the world, but if you're not happy with the training you're doing or the bike riding you're doing, then, then it's not going to work for you as well. So that's kind of those two things. It's always going to be a, a kind of a balance between kind of enjoyment and happiness, but then also performance, because without that, then, you know, none of us are going to be really riding bikes at this level.
0: Definitely. No, it's, um, it's interesting what you said about the support network and things as well because you're as far as i understand it, anyway from your youtube and things like your dad's still quite involved which yep. is cool um yeah it's it's good to have like the family vibe isn't it helping yeah through. like
1: cycling is is just and most sports you know you cannot do it without massive family support because they're yeah right in your corner they're there and like yeah maybe in world tour road then the family becomes less important but from what i've seen that like most of off road discipline, saddle and and um, mountain bike. It's yeah, having that family support is super important. They're like so passionate and so willing to just do anything to help me, which is and it, yeah, I, I think, but then that's also a positive for the off road disciplines. It makes it feel a lot more homely and a lot more kind of inviting. I think the road side of things can seem quite kind of sterile and yeah, super professional, Um, yeah. which maybe wouldn't from someone who's come from that more relaxed side of the sport, maybe I would find that a bit more intense and a bit harder to, to work with. So, yeah, there's there's definitely pros and pros and cons to, to both of them.
0: Maybe there's something in off-road racing in general. Because, like, if you compare motocross to, like, Formula 1 or even MotoGP, it's very much yeah. a family vibe in motocross, isn't it? And things with families going to races and to vans and whatnot. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, yeah. You, you can't do it without. And, obviously, with the family comes the money side of it that's just yeah. needed. So, um, of course, if, if I was the dad of someone putting a load of money into my son's cycling. Then I'd want to be there when it got better as well. You know, you're yeah. there for the whole journey. Um and you'd like to think that's quite rewarding for them as well.
0: Definitely. So you've mentioned coaching a few times. Is it family coaching as well? Have you got a separate coach or
1: so uh I'm coached by James McCallum. Um a he used to be a road racer and now he does quite a bit of gravel but um he's yeah coached some great riders in the past. But we i'd say i'd see him more as kind of a mentor type person um we worked together when i was kind of in junior into u23 and then when i joined trinity racing i worked with a coach that was on the team at the time and then when that coach left to go to Anyos, um i then went back to jimmy and all the stuff that i'd learned at trinity then i brought to back to our my relationship with jimmy and you know we've really leveled up and a lot of the stuff we do it's a lot of it doesn't really need to be said it's quite good our relationship it's we're very on the same page a lot of the time like if he's got a plan i'd look at it and i'd pretty much that's what i would have would have written anyway so he's there as the enforcer um of when to do less and when to do more and to just keep me in check because yeah i'm disciplined i'm motivated but it um he's he's i I can't do that for myself so yeah. he's he's that extra person that's that's looking after me from that side thing. So yeah, Jimmy's massively massive in my uh, little support.
0: Yeah, I guess that's um, not common, but maybe something that a lot of coaches have with coaching younger athletes or new people is trying to get them off of the sofa and out doing things and building mm-hmm. that skill. But then as you get faster, it's almost raining you in and stopping you doing too much. Yeah, the right it, things at the right time more
1: exactly. Yeah, because our bodies are really capable, and we can dig ourselves a big hole, especially if you are really motivated. But yeah you know, there's, there's, there's hard training, but there's also smart training and especially around the races and learning, you know, how much I need to do into a race. Like training is just training, you know, you're, you're training as hard as you can, you can, and you're recovering as hard as you can. But I do find it the hard times sometimes when, uh, you know, you're on the lead into a race and your body's very used to the training. So as soon as you take the foot off the gas, maybe your body doesn't feel so good. And just the loads of like, just those tiny little things that all make a difference um, to kind of get you to the start line in the best best possible place.
0: Yeah, and having that third party that's not emotionally involved, perhaps like yeah. yourself. And if you are tired, your emotions obviously get worse or better. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I I couldn't be coached by my dad because I'd just tell him he'd wrong. He was wrong. You know, <laughs> like I I that's just that relationship that you have. You know, you, yeah. you you respect them, but not they're they're too close, aren't they? So you need yeah. someone outside that to to kind of be the enforcer
0: definitely no no that's that's good and you said about running yourself into the ground and things it's not totally related but you had a few big injuries the last couple of years didn't you the collarbone and then elbow you broke that's um yeah
1: yeah yeah it feels like kind of almost in a different lifetime now um that's just because how time passes but no they were pretty serious you know I broke my collarbone in a cross race in um at the end of 2020 and then early 2021 I Broke my humerus and my elbow um, and needed quite a lot of surgery and a lot of recovery from that. And that really just, yeah, it it totally wiped out that, that 2021 mountain bike season. Um, I was so keen to go in and have a really good World Cup season because the year before I couldn't race World Cups because of COVID Um so it was really like my opportunity to like give mountain bike a good shot and, and with Trinity and everything and at the first race trip I already did my elbow and that took you know six months plus to recover from Um yeah just was incredibly frustrating just really depressing everything connected to that and With something so long as well, I had to really kind of go all the way down to the bottoms of being unhappy to then come back up. It wasn't something I could, I couldn't just be angry and annoyed for six months (laughs) and then just come back and then, you know, I'll be better. With something as long as that, I needed to really let all those emotions go out of me, accept the situation and then build back up. Um, I think with my collarbone, it was in the grand scheme of things, it really wasn't so bad, like three weeks, really four weeks max um and then I was back riding a bike whereas it was just the way that my elbow stopped me actually riding a bike in any capacity um Mm -hmm. not just the training point of view because training is one thing and racing is one thing and what the elbow did teach me is you know I really do enjoy that and I need that in my life but what I missed more was you know the physical activity and the and the all of those good emotions and like endorphins and chemicals that, that just the daily training gave me so um yeah, I had to find other things to do. I got into running a bit more, some uh, into mountain running, that type of thing. And just, yeah, re-taught my body to to get the enjoyment from something else. So um, it was a big learning experience. But something I came out of the other side, like, way better for, for and way stronger, like the logistics of missing a full mountain bike season, I'm still paying for that. Like, I'm way less experienced than a lot of my peers. I have... Yeah, less UCI points and um, yeah, I've had less opportunities but in the big picture I think I'll be I will be better off
0: for it. Definitely I mean obviously there's the the physical recovery side of it and I expect you had physio and whatnot but did you have like any like other help on like say the mental health side and things to deal with everything you just said then or?
1: Yeah so through my support that I get from Scottish Cycling, they they are supported by the Institute of Sport in Scotland, and they have access. We have access to psych psych support and also um, sports lifestyle. So, the sports lifestyle specifically was was really helpful. It was it's very practical help. Um, so it's it's more day to day and working out strategies to to help you find routine and things like that. So, in the first kind of phase of my recovery. I worked with a, a sports lifestyle advisor to, to kind of help me, yeah, find my routines back, all those things, and dealing with the injury. Um, Because, yeah, I've got medical people that can help me with the injury, but all the stuff that comes with it, the yeah, lack of activity and feeling kind of outside of the loop as well, because all my social kind of circles are all to do with cycling, that type of thing. So, yeah, that was that side of it. And then once I got a bit more of my routine back, I then – I did start to doubt a little bit about how things would feel when I did get back to the sport because it had been so long. And that's when the kind of psychology support came in a bit more and um, just, yeah, learning about myself. And, you know, that's what these people's jobs, it's not to like totally change your mind or to like totally change your outlook on things, but just to help show you what, um, show you what different ways of, of going about things are and just giving you tools to kind of help go about, go about your day and um no they, they I still use some of the uh techniques and things that that I learned while recovering from that injury.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's a big part of it, it seems, especially with bigger injuries like that. They put you out for a yeah. long time. Um because it's you may be healed like your, your elbow, but if you're holding back in your head or you're not quite yeah. there, it's definitely gonna slow you down still, isn't it? Um,
1: and that's what I was I just I didn't want it to feel any different. I was like really holding on to that feeling of like Oh, it's been so long and I'm coming back to the sport and I just I just don't want it to feel different. I want it to feel exactly the same as it felt six months ago. But the reality was is that nothing ever feels the same as it did six months ago because it's everything's always changing. And just having that spelled out to me and realizing that like you just gotta be okay with things always changing and things always moving. And what you can control is is your outlook on that. So that's kind of how then I returned to the sport and th- some things were different, but actually my love for it and enjoyment and my my commitment hadn't changed at all. So that was the perfect kind of, sh- it showed that, yeah, some things do change, but other things, you know, they're not really going to go anywhere. And that was a real good lesson for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, keeping on a, on the high note, any highlights throughout the years, or not yeah, years, rather, to date? Um,
1: Definitely, like, just that whole recovery and getting back was was a massive highlight. You know, I got back to racing in August 2021, uh, and then kind of three four months later, I won uh, my first Saddle Across world cup in Belgium, which was you know like in the timeline of things, yeah, amazing. Even without an injury, would have been amazing. But just it it showed myself um, that all that yeah you know was possible. Um, and that that was my level I, I am like a world-class rider and I could do it um, regardless of like the injury or whatever um, so no yeah that was that was a busy big saddlecross season um, yeah loads of racing and and then into the mountain bike season last year you know I had a bit of an up and down summer with just general injuries and trying to be good on the right days but overall I, I made some really big steps um, and it did set me up really well to to have a good start across season just last season, um, which was definitely my best yet. And, yeah, just hoping to to build on that going forward.
0: Yeah, your uh, your Christmas block in particular was uh, a solid one, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the goal. I had, uh, through the mountain bike season, I'd done quite a lot of racing, like most of the World Cups, Europeans, Nationals. And by the time I got to September, I was pretty low on energy physically and mentally just you know a, a full mountain bike world cup race week is is quite heavy you know you're traveling out there on the tuesday wednesday you you've got days on track and then you're building up to this pinnacle on sunday um and yeah you're doing that you know five six times a year um plus you've got national champs european champs all these other trips so by the time I got to september i realized actually since i had my elbow injury and i got back racing in august of 2021 I haven't stopped for 12, 13 months. I didn't have a single off, I didn't have a single bit of off season. I just went into full saddlecross season. I then finished my saddlecross season and went, right, I need to get on with it, mountain bike. And I went into a full mountain bike season because I just didn't want to stop because I didn't want to take it for granted. You know, that I would spent months recovering from something and I was just like, I can't stop. But that was obviously a mistake because I ran myself a little bit too into the ground and realized, right, you know, if you want to, perform at that really high level you need to let your body come all the way back down to then build back up because what was so successful with my build back from injury was that my base level was so low that we were able to build up in a really logical clean way in that process and that's actually what i needed again so that's what we did in um september october and november those three months of just building back up and then i started my soccer season in december and yeah it worked really really well because i was just at a very high level for like a month month and a half and then that's all i needed to do and then i could kind of call it there and then start thinking about the mountain bike
0: yeah i was my follow-on question was going to be how do you balance it but you've just you just answered it you've kind of yeah. it <laughs> yeah it's it,
1: yeah i'm getting better at balancing it and like you have to be really disciplined and like very like if you're going to make a plan then that is the plan you've got to stick with it like it's all very good having a plan but then as soon as someone comes along and says oh do you want to do this race you've, yeah. you've then got to actually say no like we are planning on doing this instead and that's that's kind of the hard bit like i can't imagine being someone like van der or pidcock where literally you can do every single race and you could probably win every single race but the hard bit is then deciding which races you're not going to win like you've got to turn up to a race and be like, okay this is good. I'm just going to suffer through this race. I'm going to not do very well every day, but it's, it's for a bigger picture. It's for a bigger goal. Um, and that's, you know, that's the hard bit. And also, yeah, knowing when to not do races. So, okay, I could go to European champs and win. And then actually that might not put me in the best place for world. So that's basically what all these top guys are doing all the time is working out where they can best put their energy. Cause everyone does just have a, a finite amount of energy no matter how good they are it's just kind of where you're putting it i think
0: yeah yeah definitely and tied to that then how um how does the e-bike racing come into it or is that something you're going to park or you're going to continue with or
1: <laughs> yeah the e-bike stuff it was it was a bit of a snap decision last year and that specialized turn around and said you know we've got an e-bike we want someone to race it like oh, you'd awesome. be a great person to just do it and it was you know, it wasn't going to interfere with my XCO preparation that much, so I gave it a shot and I did a very messy race. And I wish I could have just had a clean race, but I just wasn't experienced enough on the bike and and with the type of racing. So I know now that I've done one world champs, e bike world champs. I'd like to go back and do again. I think I could get a medal, um, really, on a good day. Um, but no, we'll see. It's 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 on the cards for Glasgow, um, but we'll have to yeah make a decision a bit closer once we've got a few World Cups out of the way, I think.
0: Yeah. And then, so looking at this year, how's how's things shaping up, I guess?
1: Yeah, so this year it's like I'm now in the elites. So, um, yeah, I don't have that kind of safety net of being U23. It's kind of, this is it now. Um, if you're not going to perform at elites, then, you know, you're not going to, you're not really going to make it in mountain bikes. So that's the goal of this year is to work out where my level is at, at elite World Cups. Um, I've got a decent amount of so UCI points. I think if by the end of the year I can get closer to being kind of short track, which is top 40 in the world, then that would be a, a nice thing. Uh, but that's probably not possible this year. Um, so, yeah, just balancing balancing UCI points, balancing World Cup experience. Um, I'm doing a bit of gravel on the side as well. There's a new gravel World Series, um, UCI gravel World Series. So, I'm going to be doing uh, quite a few of those events. And then World Championships are in Glasgow. Um, for the mountain bike, it's in Tweed Valley and Peebles. So that's going to be like pretty much my main goal of of the season will be that in August.
0: Nice. Yeah, we're making the trip up for that. So looking forward good. to it. It's going to be good. Um, do you think it's maybe a challenge for UK athletes to get UCI points because we're on the island and you've got to get the Eurotunnel or ferry, whatever it is. Whereas if you were, say, living in France, you can sort of shoot about over Europe around the world cups
1: definitely yeah definitely it's like i mean even the fact that we have uci points now at our races is 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 a massive step up you know to think that we've just literally had to go anywhere else the only uci race we had in the uk was national champs i think that was that's what it was like pretty much all of my youth racing into junior um so yeah now that we have c c2s and a c1 helps as you know we're actually close to them um but when you compare that to someone who lives you know in, in the south of germany or in like yeah um eastern france you know they they they've just got such a massive range of races that they could go to but yeah it's still possible to go to the right races you know we could travel over to the netherlands or belgium to get to get points and things but um you kind of just need a minimum amount of points so then you can get into world cups for example at my level for example that you can then hopefully start to score points at the world cups um because uci points go down quite far in world cups so that was me last year i got as many as i could in the uk and a few international races and then once i was actually at the world cups then i had a base level of points that were that were good enough but I realized this year i've never really had a problem with uci points in cyclocross because the pool of riders is just so small compared to mountain bike in mountain bike there are literally a thousand riders who have points and who you know who can score at these at these events from every country you could think of whereas in cyclocross it's like 50. it's like it's it's so it's such a small pool so as soon as you start scoring points in cyclocross you really move up yeah whereas in mountain bike you have to be racing most weekends, you have to be winning races to, to really be pushing up there. So that's that was something yeah, I had to work out um the kind of politics and the logistics of point hunting. But um hopefully it gets easier every year as I start to like bank. So like this starting this year with like a couple of hundred points is just night and day difference to starting last year with zero points. So it's I'm already kind of on the board, so every race I do go to hopefully I can just add a little bit onto my total and then by the end of the year maybe hopefully in a better place
0: yeah i think it was um phil pierce who said in his interview about how he he almost dove off too quickly without enough uci points and yep. then had really bad gridding and stuff and then he always swimming upstream even more you know yep. situation
1: <laughs> yeah you got to kind of i guess yeah slowly build out a base and then once you have got a base then you are getting decent griddings and you could maybe yeah, shoot for a bit of a bigger goal but if you do go into those big goals with zero uci points then you're you are making yourself you know you you, don't, you can't go to an elite world cup with zero points looking for points because by being a 100th on the grid you are very far away from 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 scoring um so you've got to kind of put yourself in a position where you can get the points so that's when it, you know you go to czech republic or you go to poland or you go find some points somewhere else um but yeah, it's is it's a difficult one, and I've had chat chat with like fellow racers and stuff thinking like how do we actually maybe have different scores you know because sometimes the difference between maybe winning a c1 and winning a hC is maybe not that big. maybe there needs to be bigger difference, so you know put World Cups really on a pedestal mm. and make that really hard to get into, but then you award more points in that mid level so that you can get yourself into that high level pool. But then I think you would then need like a C3 or a C4 category to then deal with the, the lower level races. Because, yeah, if you were to compare a C1 in Woody's for example, and yeah. a C1 in Marseille or a C1 in Central Europe, they're very, very different um, level. So, you know, there there is no point in going to that European one to get points, even though it's a C1. It's just you've got to... You've almost got to have like this another layer of like mini World Cup points where if you turn up and the, f- and the field is mini World Cup level, you've got to like make the points go a little bit lower because there were races I did last year. It was, I think U23 HC, it's only the top 10 that score points and it's a World Cup effectively. It's a U23 World Cup. Um, whereas our uh, U23 World Cup is the top 50 that score points. So it's just such so different in, in how the points are scored. But yeah, if you find the right races and the, and the right time of year to race, then you can you can find the points out there.
0: Yeah, I guess flipping the question on its head as well, like last weekend at Tong, I didn't see any French or Dutch people coming over for it necessarily. Like... No,
1: exactly. And I think if british cycling want to encourage the international field then they probably will need to get like at least c1 races um mm-hmm. i think c2 races there's there's so many of them that you can kind of you could pick somewhere else um yeah. i'm i'm i am surprised that there were no international riders at, at woodies for example last year yeah. um because yeah the level is high when you've got me and charlie Aldridge and cameron Orr and and karen kakannes and you know the level is high um for some of these guys in the middle who want the points you know go there and get a top 10 and a top 10 at c1s is, is is good points and we saw that a bit with cyclocross uh all the cyclocross races started getting proper uci um, levels mm. and belgian riders did start to come over for the for the ones that were in the south of south of england um because they were driving and yeah, yeah. but then Brexit is also not helping with all of these things, so it's harder to get all of your equipment over. It's there's way more paperwork, and there were riders teams having issues with that in Ireland at the World Cup, um, that teams didn't know what they needed if they were having to travel through the UK. So yeah, Brexit is really not helping helping us with that, um, unfortunately. But um, yeah, we'll see. I think the organizers would have to like start to consciously think about venues maybe if they were mm-hmm. to. Um, try to like really target international riders but it i think they should because it it would raise the profile of uk races because you know we want to win national trophies national level races but we want for that to be seen as like a high level you know no there aren't bad riders that win national series races that that that's what it should look like um and that's that would be good for the, the sport as a whole in the uk
0: definitely yeah well hopefully we'll get there eventually yeah well, it's all progressing in the right direction, at least, even if Brexit is making things a bit complicated. Yeah,
1: I think so. Like, And the more high level races there are in the UK, that's just going to naturally attract more. You know, when you've got Charlie Aldridge on a factory team racing in a home race, yeah. then that, you know, it's clearly the race is high enough of a level. And that's just going to attract people to even just eyes on the sport and eyes on the eyes on the races. Um, so, you know, they, they look at the elite result, elite male result for to see if they can see Charlie or Cameron Orr. But then they also look at the elite women and then they look at the juniors. And then that's just, you know, the more knowledge that people outside of the UK have about our scene, the better. Because then hopefully you could pick up, you know, see someone coming through the ranks. You see a junior that's winning and junior females. Maybe there's going to be interest to get them on a team or to see how they do in Europe. And it's just about that. Then, if, if you don't know, you don't know. Like, if these team managers don't know who these riders are, then they've got no reason to sign them. But as soon as they get to know them, then then they can start to think about if they if they would sign them or not. So that's it, that will happen as well when when uh, there's more eyes on on British cross country.
0: Definitely. And on the topic of exposure, <clears throat> you're um quite busy on on YouTube and things over the years. That's that's actually how I've, like started following you in the first place. Ah, cool. So. How's that sort of tied into your journey through cross and mountain biking?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think I would have got to the same level anyway, but it, it it did definitely help me get my name out there. Like most people in Belgium know me from YouTube and from Saddlecross because I did fill quite a big hole in the market. Like when I was starting racing international Saddlecross, there was no real like content like creators really like that made – Obviously, there'd be highlights from the races or like replays on YouTube, but there'd be no one actually at the race making a video. And as soon as I started riding around the track with a GoPro or I started chatting to the camera about how that race was, then people started watching and Belgians started watching and Dutch people started watching and German people started watching just that real international thing, because I think as an English speaking rider, um, it also got a lot of... um, kind of audience from America as well. Like if you're an American up like up and coming saddlecross rider and you want to see what Belgium looks like, you would type in saddlecross Belgium and my videos would come up and they'd be really kind of accessible to that side of it. So that like a lot of my audience is directly from saddlecross. Um whereas mountain biking actually is a it's a media driven sport. Like it's it's heavily reliant on podcast articles and um and video whereas saddlecross it's very it's a lot more traditional media just kind of newspapers and and news articles there was there's not really any media companies in saddlecross um it's it's modernizing a little bit but whereas mountain bike already was a pretty digital sport wasn't it so um i feel like yeah i've got a bit of a mountain bike following as well but nowhere near as big as my as my saddlecross following so it's yeah we'll see maybe that will change this year if i if i Properly make some mountain bike videos, but um, I end up not actually making many mountain bike videos last year. So I actually need to, you know, make the videos as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I was kind of wondering like how it um, how it came about in the first place. And obviously, you're you're good at it too. It's not like say me trying to do a YouTube video, which would be horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite a um, it's, it's a it's a hard thing to do.
1: Yeah, I was. I mean, it was like anything when I started. I wasn't very good, but I did it enough that I got better at it. So um i just really enjoyed it and the things i was doing i would just video and make clips and you know like even on my facebook when i was like what 13 14 years old i was editing on whatever it was windows movie maker and like crashing my laptop every 10 minutes probably and just just learning all those things like trying to export things in the wrong size and like all the videos that i have on facebook i think have like massive black bars around everything because i didn't know how like aspect ratio worked um so yeah all that stuff and then if you start making all those mistakes when you're 13 14 years old then when you get to 18 then you you should be pretty good by then so um i've just got a little bit better every year and i've got to a point that i can pretty easily put together a good story and a good video um about what i'm doing and it, it just happens that the things that i'm doing now are actually really interesting and it was always interesting but a bit more kind of flashy you know like when i win a race i can make a video about it whereas yeah. five ten years ago i was just making a video about me riding around my garden so it's like a bit different world but it's the same idea it's it's just you know kind of make an interesting story kind of get some cool shots edit together with a nice video a uh, nice uh, bit of music and then see if people like it or not but i don't really i've never really like really sought out all the views and stuff like there's definitely a a route I could go that's real, kind of clickbaity and really, um, you know, audience-driven. But I think by not doing that, I've kind of kept a bit of my own like originality. Like I've kept my own uh, like vibe of the videos, and I think that's like people see that that I've got my own style, and and I, I want to kind of keep that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's important to have your own style and not just go for for clickbait, like you say.
1: Yeah. You could maybe. cash in a little bit. Like I've got the audience and stuff and I could really like churn out the the videos um and get lots of eyes on it. But if it's not something I'm that passionate about, then I probably won't do it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Do you think it's something you'd do in the future? Like say you retire from racing, would you go into filmmaking?
1: Yeah, I think I oh know I do really enjoy the, the filmmaking process. It probably wouldn't be in cycling, it would maybe be in another sport or in another another aspect of life, but um, yeah, no, I, I do really enjoy the kind of video video side of things and and just getting across stories in a real like I, only because I like it so much. Like, there's nothing more than I like than just like watching obscure YouTube YouTube videos from something that I've never seen before. You know, like a video about how they map Antarctica, you know, just like real off off script stuff. But if they've done it in a really good way, it's so that's, I find that so interesting. Um, so if I could do something like that for for mountain biking or for cycling, that would be cool. But um, yeah, for now, it just makes sense that I make videos about what I'm doing. Cause I'm doing cool stuff. So um, when I don't, when I'm not doing cool stuff anymore, then I'll end up making videos about other people probably.
0: Yeah, I think it was Max from Sleep, uh, SleeperCo was saying yeah. about how he gets really motivated by watching obscure stuff, like say, I don't know sailboat racing or something like that. And yeah. Fires into make bike videos rather than just sitting yeah. watching bike videos. So. Um, mm. yeah. so and it just- needs
1: that, you know, you need to, that open your horizons to like, yeah, that 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 one video you watch could be something that, you know, sparks that new idea that you bring into mountain biking, um, whether you or watching another sport, you know, maybe it's how they do the media in Formula One. That's how you're gonna yeah. maybe take to, to cycling It needs people like that in cycling to revolutionise it because if we don't do that you know we're just going to be stuck with the same commentators with the same coverage with the same everything um, and nothing's ever going to move along
0: definitely I mean we could go down the rabbit hole of um, the, the change of ownership but I don't think we will <laughs> from yeah. to, um, what was it discovery and things like that yeah
1: it? we can't I, to be honest I can't actually say much now because no one really knows what it means yet for a mountain bike yeah. world cup like like yeah hopefully it's gonna be a great thing and we'll just see you know like we can't really say anything more about that
0: eh? no as far as i can tell there's been a lot of shake-ups on the downhill side with like the the semi-finals and the final but cross country it seems quite untouched to a degree
1: yeah and i think yeah hopefully it's just levels up like if it stays the same level of coverage and stuff then that's great but you know what we would really want is you know to modernize even more and to you know bring even more people into sport and that type of thing and if you can get more of the road, road audience in from gcn that type of thing and yeah. um, make it really viewable from that um that would be great but yeah we'll see yeah
0: i guess it's getting if it's on eurosport and stuff it's the person that's tuned in to watch the new or the f1 and then next up mountain bike and they actually stay watching and then yep. yeah 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 that's, yeah. Key, guess,
1: that's and that? yeah just and um, to make uh, personalities out of the riders and to really yeah. make personalities out of the team you know that's what's going to really bring in like lifelong fans um because most fans i think of cycling are fans because they actually ride the bikes yeah. and they they ride mountain bikes and they know about the bike brand so then they go and see follow them on instagram but there's a whole other side of the market that you know can bring in just sport fans you know people who like sport and like extreme sports um but it you can't become a fan of a sport that you don't know how it works or you don't know who the people are. So I think there has to be a lot of work. And Red Bull have done that before great, which is how close they are to the riders, you know, the pre and post interviews, all that stuff. So um, I think Discovery should just pick up where Red Bull left off.
0: Definitely. It's exciting times. Um, yeah. I guess that, that draws to close the main part of the interview. Um, so we'll get stuck into the the quickfire round, as it were. Cool um if we ask everybody so first off the bat we have uh hits and shit so hits are something you really like about the sport it can be like really niche like say you love dropper posts or it can be like i don't know women's racing something like that whatever it is and then a shit would be something you really are there something that gets on your nerves something you don't like about the sport something the community needs to do better or it can be like just tubeless tires perhaps something like that
1: um well, that's a good example of tubeless uh <laughs> hits. Um um I like how like a world cup like a cross country race track is the same for like everyone, so yeah. like there's no differences there and work like world Cup racers could just go and race a regional race and it would be just as hard for them as it would be for a guy going around getting lost you know I think that's great like there's just so open um and shit uh yeah tubeless. Yeah, it's every single time it's rubbish, pretty much. Like, and it won't ever get better, will it? It just that's just, and it's only gonna get worse. Now we've got these inserts, so it's <laughs> that's, just, that's just life. Um, but now, more seriously than that, um, ah, you need yang and yang, isn't it? You need you need the bad stuff to go with the with the with the good stuff. So, nah, it's, I, I was gonna say that's like, not like how much we have to wash our bikes and things, but that's just part of it. I don't like how hard. Full suspension mountain bikes are to wash compared to a road bike. That's I notice that every time I wash my mountain bike, there you go.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good one. Like you said, the yin and yang, it's like you need the lows in your training to then have the highs, don't you? So yep. yeah, it all balances out eventually. No, those are some those are some good hits and shits. I like that, especially a tubulars one feeling pain there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next question is uh, your best training session. This can you can have two if you want. You can have one that does you the most benefit and one you like just love the most, or if it's the same, then great.
1: Uh, mountain bike specific would be like anything kind of race pacey or like, like sweet spot. Like, if my like my coach would sometimes just set me like, like fifty minutes of zone three sweet spot on trails. So you just it's more like by heart rate. So you just go and do like a big XC loop, and your heart rate would just be at kind of race pace for the whole thing. And I just love that because it's just like going fast for like a long amount of time. Um. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of like sprints or like short VO2. It's just so painful. Like I'd much rather do that in a racing scenario than in training. Um whereas in training on a good day, just riding hard for like a full flat out hour. Yeah, that's good. Also just yeah, big blocks of climbing zone three and threshold. So like maybe three, four hours and you do three blocks of twenty minutes zone three or threshold because then you get to go down lots as well like we do yeah. this session at, at the golfie in scotland where the climb is like 18 minutes long and you'd do the 18 minute long climb at like 340 watts like just so quick like you, you know you're doing like 500 meters of climbing in like 20 minutes but then you get each time you do a rep you get like a whatever a 10 minute long descent uh, oh, so goodness. it's that's good as well like you're really covering ground so those sessions are good fun and then it makes you really fit but then it also makes you really tired so you have to be careful uh, how much how many you can't do that every day you can't do threshold <laughs> every day
0: no definitely i guess you're de- you're descending under quite a lot of fatigue as well so that's some of the mistakes creeping and, and yeah mistakes exactly
1: out. and you just get so much descending like you get you know yeah you do a three four hour ride and you've done two and a half thousand meters of climbing which means you've done all of that descending so yeah you can do <laughs> yeah. that in scotland because we have a bit longer climbs and descents um but yeah, no. so if I was to do that in Europe, it would be good as well. You know, do like an hour long climb at, at, at um, zone three and then you get big, big long descents as well, which are, which are fun.
0: Nice. No, that's a good answer. We haven't had those yet. So I like that. Um, the next question, can you like finish the sentence? If I wasn't racing bikes, I'd be?
1: Uh, mountain runner, hill runner.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Is that something you get to fit in quite a lot now you're back to full health or is it? Um... riding?
1: not so much I find it does take away from the training a little bit like you'd have to be quite consistent with the running for it to be a part of my training but um for example when I get came back from my cross season I went on a few hill runs with my dad and you know got doms and felt terrible from it but it was worth it so it was good fun um my dad's quite a big hill runner so that's from that from where that comes from um and I think it's just good for your body as well it's like very dynamic and um and it's also really outdoorsy. Like I wouldn't want to go and do a ten k around a park, but I would want to like walk, run up a big hill in Scotland. So that's that's yeah. Yeah, more up my street. Yeah,
0: definitely. I guess it's like it's simple as well. Like yeah. you got to wash your bike after and well, things. You put your shoes on, off you go. and you It's throw
1: so pure and oh, it's just the best. It's just shoes and you got to know where you're going and then that's it. And it doesn't yeah. matter if there's a wall, or if there's a style. There's no It's like the most pure way of traveling and covering ground so it's I like so i i would rather run places where i can't ride uh mm, because yeah. if i was running places where i can ride i'd just be thinking oh i want a bike but <laughs> if i run up a mountain that's got loads of rocks and stuff then i wouldn't be riding up that so it makes sense to be on foot. so i'm much rather that when i was injured um i found it really hard running close to my home because i'd race i'd I'd ridden everywhere and i just thought about how slow i was going compared to when i was on my bike um so that was rubbish but then i got i like retrained my brain to like go slower so i like i made a new level of speed so instead of going everywhere at 25k an hour i went everywhere at 10k an hour or whatever
0: so I guess as well the good thing is you can get um you can get a decent run in 30 minutes can't you whereas a decent ride you can't really do it yeah (laughs) i know
1: because and the better you get at bike riding you realize yeah 30 minutes or an hour it really isn't much but if you're bad at something then you don't need much of it to 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 do that so maybe there's a level of of hill running where or any running that you do get like 30 minutes is nothing but that would take a while to for me to get there i think
0: ah fair enough enough. that's that's a good answer um Next question is best value upgrade. So this can be it can be a physical thing you purchase, or it can be something yeah wider, not a physical thing. I don't know what that would be, but yeah, it doesn't have to be a component basically.
1: Um, tire options would be a good thing. I don't know if it's best value because it is quite expensive, but in terms of like quality, like having yeah. tire as a as a mountain bike racer. Having tire options at a race does would really add to I think, and but you have got to commit to that. You know, you've got to try them in training, all of that, and then also the more tire options you have, then the more spares you need, and it, it that it's a slippery slope of quite a lot, because um, then you got to look after them. Um, yeah, best value would just be like, yeah, getting something really good quality on your bike, like finding like good quality brake pads that you can put your money in, like the, the disposables that you use every day like just do them really good like there's no point in like splashing out on something really odd and fancy and unique that you're not going to use every day like getting good quality grips and a good quality saddle because you're literally gonna you know hold on to them every single day so like yeah i've i've got a really good specialized saddle that i have on all my bikes and that's just simple i've never get saddle sores never get any issues so maybe yeah just if you've got a good saddle maybe buy another one for your other bike and that's a that would be a good way to improve your your comfort
0: nice so what saddle is it in case people want to have a look and check it out for themselves
1: uh a specialized power one four three millimeter so it's okay. the kind of not so wide power saddle um some people these the power saddles they're a little bit shorter and wider um some people's hips aren't really wide enough for them so they it's not like but it's, it's a good one to try because it's it's not a traditional kind of saddle shape. It's yeah. just that bit wider and shorter. Um, but, yeah, it works great for mountain bike, cross road, everything. So. There, you go.
0: there you go. Get people to check it out. No, that's a good one. We've not had um, saddles and grips yet, so it's a bit different. And, like, with the tyre with the thing, it's definitely a good investment, like you say, because yeah. even if it's just as simple as a set of dry and wet tyres, you can... Yeah, and they don't
1: have to be, you know, quality tyres. Like I don't know, some of it is just marketing because you sometimes you're just buying a thinner tire because it's yeah. lighter. But yeah. do you actually want a thinner tire? Like you've got to find out what you actually want and yeah. maybe a thicker tire that's you know going to do good for a longer time. Or but yeah, finding like trade options that work. Like you know, not riding a summer tire in the winter, you'll yeah. feel a lot better for. And then not riding a winter tire in the summer, you'll you'll feel fast. So it's it's yeah, picking the right tires on the right day.
0: It's interesting, you, you mentioned basically every contact point apart from pedals, so grips, saddle, and then tyres contact the ground. So it's, yeah. it's, but those are like a big part of the feel, aren't they? So it's, yeah, I guess yeah. the best value is improving your feel on the bike.
1: Yeah, like if I, if I got a brand new bike from another company tomorrow, what I'd want dialed first would be the grips I always ride, the saddle, and then, yeah, some good tyres on it. Like I don't really care if it's full suspension or not full suspension. I don't really care what the suspension is or the group set. But, you know, the handlebar position, the brake position and my saddle, you know, and I'm, then I'm pretty much happy. Um, so that's, yeah, another free upgrade would be like getting that dialed and then mm-hmm. taking measurements of it all. You can do that for free and then, you know, you've got it because if you crash or you have to build up a new bike or if you something moves, then you've just got the measurement because there's nothing worse than going out on a bike ride and not knowing what's wrong. Like, ah. Mm-hmm. Oh, levers aren't in the right place and my saddle's too far forward like that's so frustrating to me anyway it might not be to other people but um but if you know then you know you know you measure it and then it's right and then you get on with your day
0: i guess as well for like say tracking things if you get an injury it may yep. be you're sat too far back but if yeah, you yeah. don't know how far back you're in the first place you don't know if the change made a difference. exactly
1: really. yeah you can only change things once you've actually got the information so yeah. step one information just make a spreadsheet and take a measurement of everything
0: that, um, that's actually pretty much answers our next question, which is like any advice you'll, you'd give to the average racer like myself. But is there anything else you'd add on there?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I would have said.
0: Yeah, okay, fair enough. Simple yeah. enough. That's done. Preempting the questions, this is good. Uh, and then have you had any like heroes or inspiration along the way that stand out in particular?
1: Um, Definitely like my dad, just general hero in day-to-day life um i find it like now that i'm a little bit higher up in the sport harder to like idolize people like van and and pidcock and stuff because i think i see a little bit closer what they're doing and i realize that they're not much different from the normal person they're just insanely talented so um yeah they're doing things really well um but just you know i idolize people who who have like come back from really hard things who have, who have not lost their sense of self all that stuff so like even my friend isla isla short like she's proper inspiration like the way she goes about her racing and goes about her how she carries herself as a top world cup level racer i find that really inspiring so
0: um
1: you know i i'd rather get inspiration from lots of different people not just one person
0: yeah, I mean, that's good. You can cherry pick the best parts of everyone, then.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I know, because not everyone's perfect. That's basically what what you're saying.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's a very good point as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. No, that's that's fantastic. And then the final question is, um, is there any shout-outs you want to give, any socials you want to plug, etc.? Uh
1: Just, you know, if you're wanting to watch YouTube, Across videos, it's just Cameron Mason on YouTube. And then it's Cameroony, uh, for all my other socials. So, yeah, check it out.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'll stick some links in the show notes and stuff. But... Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, and looking forward to see how you go this year.
1: No no worries, Ashley. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the A Line Podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Cameron. It was great chatting to him, hearing his story. There were a few highs and lows, but he's persevered, and it's been—it's incredible, isn't it? Situation at such a high level, and the things he's doing on YouTube is also great. I've put links in the show notes to his Instagram and his YouTube, so be sure to go check that, check that out. Um, I've also put links to the Alan podcast Instagram, so be sure to follow that so you keep up to date with all the news from the show. And that's all from me. But before we go, we've got a final word from Simon about the upcoming emergency services champs. Get entered if you're eligible, and if you're not, you can do the regular race, and I might be there racing myself. So until next time, see you soon. Hi everyone, my name's Simon from the Prison Service Cycling Club. Ash has kindly given me two minutes of the podcast time to announce the launch of the 2023 Emergency Service National XC Championships. It's a national championship race held on the 30th of July down at Newnham Park in Devon. If you work for any of the emergency services, either a paid or voluntary role, then this is the race for you, with black and rights up for grabs of who is the fastest service. Come along and join us for what's going to be a great weekend with camping available on the Saturday night as well as hot lap racing on the Saturday evening. Click on the link to enter and we hope to see you all down there. Hello and welcome to another episode of the A Line podcast. This week I speak to Matt Skibbons, who's not only an elite racer racing for a bear but also a coach at Real Endurance Coaching. He shares his story into cycling, as well as his coaching journey, and really drops some nuggets of information that all listeners can benefit from. Whether you're self-coached or working with a coach already, listen up and take some notes. It was a great chatting to Max, so I hope you enjoy it too. But before we get stuck in, here's a quick message from Simon. <laughs>